Zoom potluckers. It is good to have you on the call. I'm sure people will be joining us. And I am delighted to introduce you to somebody who I actually uh, had not met until I returned to Iowa not long ago. And uh, it seems like everywhere I go, there's Susanna DeBaca with so-and-so or with so-and-so. She, I don't know how she does it. She's all over the place and doing a remarkable job for business publications. Susanna, welcome to our Monday Potluck. It's good to have you aboard. Well, thank you. Good to see you, Julie. And it looks like there's some friendly faces on the, the call. So hi, everyone. Very friendly faces. And by the way, those of you on the call who have a question, please don't hesitate to ask. I'll start uh, talking to Susanna at first, but we welcome your participation as always. And Connie Weimer, if you have a question, I don't know if you should be able to ask it or not, but what the heck? <laughs> you can just slip a note under the door, you slip know. <laughs> right. So good to see everybody on the call. Oh, Alejandro's on the call. Well, this is fun. Uh, he's the dean of the Zimpleman College of Business at Drake. So this is, this, I love these things. These are great. All right. So Susanna DeBaca, tell us about you. Where are you from originally? Well, I was born in Ames. My parents were professors at Iowa State, but uh, most of my growing up was in a little town called Huxley, Iowa, which is between Ames and Ankeny. And uh, I left after uh, after uh, high school, and then I moved back there as an adult. So I, I came full circle. <laughs> so connect the dots. What happened between leaving from high school, leaving high school, and then returning? Tell us Tell us an overview of your resume, which is quite interesting. Well, that's a that's a longer call, Julie. But uh, um, the the very short version is, I went to Iowa State and I uh, was an art and design major with concentrations in uh, religion, religious studies, anthropology. Uh, pretty much determined never to be employable, uh, and. Uh, thinking that I'd probably be a university professor or run a museum. And, uh, but I left and went to Dallas, uh, ran a nonprofit where a couple of my board leaders said, we have a different thought about your life, Susanna. We think you should go get an MBA because you're good at business, which I thought was hilarious because my whole background was in the arts and in writing and painting and um, I just thought the things they were telling me were skills were common sense. Uh, but at any rate, I ended up getting an MBA, uh, went to uh, Boston, then went back to Dallas and spent 25 years in asset management and financial services, um, ultimately running businesses. And then about 10 years ago, I made a huge career shift, came back to Iowa uh, to run a multi-state Planned Parenthood affiliate. Uh, and uh, then uh, five years ago, uh, came to run Business Publications Corporation and to work with Connie Weimer. But I married a guy from my hometown somewhere along the way, and he wanted to come back to our hometown close to my mom. And so uh, after being gone from Huxley, Iowa for 30-something years, I ended up a mile from the farm that I grew up on. And that's very surreal, Julie, I can tell you. <laughs> I can't imagine. How did you meet or how did you, did you know each other when you were growing up or was this uh, something that you discovered late in life and uh, on other paths? 
my husband and I grew up together. So we were, we knew each other uh, in junior high and high school. We were not high school sweethearts, but on a trip home um, over 20 years ago, we, we connected, started dating long distance, and I was never coming back to Iowa. I, and I ended up, yes, coming back to Iowa about four years later uh, to um, uh, to be with him and to be the mom to two amazing uh, stepsons. And I've never looked back. Oh, that's wonderful. So how did you and Connie Weimer connect for the role with business publications? Well, one of the first times that I came back, um, I was uh, involved in the community, going back and forth between here in New York, and Connie Weimer was infamous uh, uh, for all it of is. the work that she was doing in the community. We had many similar passions, uh, and when I was running uh, the Planned Parenthood affiliate, that was an organization Connie had been very involved in. I think she'd been the board chair uh, many, many years ago, and she was always an amazing sounding board. Uh, and so that's how we ended up, I think, uh, connecting and and how I I think I ended up in my spot today through that, um, that friendship, as well as shared passions uh, and shared interests. So if you would tell us about business publications, what all does that entail? I'm sure there are aspects of business publications that a lot of people don't fully realize. So mm -hmm. take it from the top. Well, for those who have not heard of Business Publications Corporation or BPC, I certainly invite you to uh, check out all of our products. If you're from Iowa, there is probably going to be something that is of interest uh, to you. But we are a local, uh, locally based media company, uh, and we call ourselves a media company because we do multimedia. Um, and there are really three main products or three main divisions. The business record, uh, which is a business journal and products that Connie started uh, 40 years ago this year. More to come on anniversaries. Happy anniversary, uh, Connie. And DSM Magazine, uh, which is all about arts and culture, food and dining, etc., which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year more to come on that as well. And then a custom publishing division where we uh, essentially use our storytelling and design expertise to help others tell their story. So we do book publishing, uh, white label, uh, other types of publishing products, videos, etc. So the organization uh, is really centrally Iowa focused, but we have many statewide products and across the entire company, more than 50 products. We do over 40 events a year and we really have something to help the business community, the arts and, and cultural community and the philanthropic community. So Connie created and built a a really unique and special company, and it's a privilege to be able to have a part uh, in in leading that. Today, I believe, or yesterday, you announced the uh, that business publications won a significant award. Tell us about that and what the criteria was used that was that you were judged against, and who your competitors were, et cetera. Toot that horn. 
Excellent. Well, yeah, we are absolutely thrilled that about a couple of weeks ago uh, at our an annual industry conference, um, so this is the Business Journal Industry um, Alliance of Area Business Publishers is what it's called. We actually received four top awards for excellence and innovation and quality, and I could just not be more proud of our newsroom and design team, as well as the entire company, because, you know, it, you know, in journalism, Julie, it takes everybody to get a story out. Um, but we won in four different categories. Um, we won uh, gold uh, for our best daily email. And so that's our business record daily. And that was nationally, that was against organizations like Cranes, um, uh, D Magazine in Dallas, LA, I mean, so large markets. Uh, we won a gold for the, our best feature series. Michael Crum, one of our senior reporters, um, was honored. We got a gold for best beat reporting for innovation and technology. That went to Sarah Dean uh, for her work in Innovation Iowa. And we also received honors for best specialty newsletter, and that was nationwide for the business records fearless, which is for specifically for women who want to succeed in work and life. So um, it was judged by uh, journalists at the University of Missouri School of Journalism. Uh, and we were uh, competing against, I guess you would say, our, our industry peers, most of them in markets that are much larger. So we're not only proud of our quality and our excellence, um, we're we're proud that I think we fight above our weight class, um, which is as far as I'll go with any sport analogy because it starts to fall apart. <laughs> well, that really is a huge honor, and I I just wonder how it came about. How would you, it if you were to um, what's the word I'm looking for um, back backfill or uh, deconstruct what went into winning those awards? What do you think made your team special? Mm -hmm. That's tough competition. It's very tough competition because we have a smaller team than many of these large organizations. I think from the very beginning, Connie had a very, very um, laser focus on quality, quality editorial uh, and an eye for design. That's something, a passion I also share. I think you can, you know, we've all seen the way that the world of journalism works, Julie. It's a tough it's a tough industry right now, but it really starts with the reader. It starts with providing the reader with quality news and information uh, that they need specifically for you know, whatever they're reading for. So for the business record, we, we are writing for a business leader who is making decisions. We're trying to give that person information that they can use um, or a younger leader who's really trying to understand how to be navigating. So we, we provide excellent content. We also aggregate news that is useful, both nationally and statewide. Uh, and, um, and then we do it in a clean, readable way so that it's easy uh, to consume. So again, all the teams, um, but really it's the commitment and history of having super high standards and focusing on our reader that I think has enabled us to get recognition from our peers. 
Okay, great. Uh, lots of softballs, and and as 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 uh, as is the nature of these conversations, it's like having a big dinner party, and you never know who's going to show up. There, but there's also tough parts of being in your industry today. You mentioned that, but how how do you navigate the future? Newspapers are dying right and left. Uh, you've you've you and Connie have created a. a a culture and uh, and products that that can stand the test of time because everybody wants to win an award for something and you've got an award for everything. So how how, how do you position business publications and DSM and the other entities for the future? Well, I think there's a number of reasons that we continue to be successful, and I want to I want to knock on wood here because it is a very difficult industry right now, rapidly changing uh, journalism landscape and consumer interests. And the way consumers um, essentially navigate news is very different. But I think what has made us successful in addition to a focus on quality is that we are very clear about uh, who our audience is and really focusing on a niche or on various niches, right? So we are not trying to be everything to everyone everywhere. We know for each one of our products, who the audience is, and we think a lot about what is the news or information that they need in order to to keep coming back to us. And our open rates for our newsletters, our surveys around readability show that our, our uh, readers are very, very loyal. They spend a lot of time on our products. Our open rates are very high. And that's because we're giving them information that they need and want versus just pushing things at them. That holds true for the business news, for arts and culture, food and dining, and for IA Magazine, which is really about things that are happening or beautiful in our state. So niche publishing and then providing information, quality information on a variety of platforms so that our readers can absorb that information when, where, and however they want on any given day um, is has been successful, but we have to continue innovating and evolving all the time in this industry because readers are evolving and changing daily. So how have advertisers evolved? It used to be that you could count on XYZ for every issue. Um, those buying habits are changing. People are experimenting with other forms of uh, engagement with potential customers, uh, right down to hyper, hyper, hyper local targeting via you know, geocaching and all of those things. How do you how do you provide a product that works for an advertiser such that they'll stay with you? Well, I think it's again that focus on um, access to a very specific and measurable audience, right? So if we know who our reader is, and that is a reader that advertisers feel that they also want to be reaching. Um, and we can show them that they can consistently do that and that it's a positive uh, way for them uh, to get their name out. Then really a, the question is, what's the multi, what's the media mix that's going to work for them? So if the if we've got a good audience and they know that our distribution is positive, 
then the conversation really has to be much more consultative about, yes, you still need to be in print, but you also need to be doing things digital. You should be exploring sponsored content to get your message out in a different way, using video, showing up in person at events. You know, this surround sound approach is what we talk about a lot uh, for our advertisers and sponsors. But I think we feel very, very fortunate that we've had loyal uh, repeat advertisers and sponsors um, because they see value in the, the products and they see that we continue to get the desired readership. So <clears throat> I'm in that senior category where I should, I have to relearn this lesson all the time and that is never assume anything about anybody. And I had assumed that you with your resume and your current position were a no-nonsense uh, business person through and through. And you shocked me when you started writing poetry for the Iowa Writers Collaborative. And I don't know if all of you on this call have subscribed to her, her column, but please do. You'll be amazed. She takes complicated issues, personal, professional, some political, and, and gives a context that is so deep and thoughtful. And uh, I don't know how you do it. How, have you always been interested in poetry? Uh, yes, I've been writing poetry since I was probably in high school. I think some really bad poetry uh, in high school and college. But as I told you, I started out in the arts. So I was a painter and a writer long before I was a business person. Uh, and so it's a very, very important part of my identity. And I think that creative persona uh, has while I think initially I was maybe uh, thought that those two personas did not uh, necessarily go well together, I think that creative energy is is one has been one of the keys uh, to my career. Have you noticed a difference in how you approach business problem solving since you've put your poet hat on so so well through the Substack column? Has it I changed? Well, I just started publishing the poetry on Substack last year with you. I have been writing poetry and writing most of my career. So okay. even early on when I worked on Wall Street, I was publishing financial articles and I was on uh, I was a media spokesperson. So I've I've been involved with media, I mean, since the mid the mid nineties, um, probably. And I think looking at things journalistically has always informed the way I think. I think it's honestly a liberal arts way of thinking um, that has informed my problem solving. And I'm a huge believer in hiring people who do have liberal arts backgrounds. I think they learn to think and um, uh, look at the world uh, differently. Um, but yes, if you want to, was I was I the only painter in my class at, at business school? Yeah, that, I think I was. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Let me switch back to the city of Des Moines, the metro area, the leaders. You know, 20 years ago, before I left Iowa, I could have named the top 10 
business leaders in Des Moines. Of course, Connie Weimer would have been on that list and several other familiar names. I can't name those top 10 today. I don't know who they are. I haven't been around. I'm not plugged in like you are. Not to put you on the spot, but if you could name the top, let's let's just start with five, top five emerging or uh, current business leaders that get things done in the city of Des Moines, who would come to mind? Well, I, I don't know that I can say top five emerging. Uh, I, I, I would encourage everyone on the call to pick up our book of lists because that actually shows who in the, the Des Moines business community, who they think are the top uh, leaders, uh, as well as um, I think we have 100 business people that you need to know. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, that that ebbs and flows. But you know, some of the, uh, I would say one of the the younger um, business leaders that everybody here really needs to get to know is Tiffany Tauschek, who just took over as CEO of the partnership with Jay Byers moving to Simpson. She has been the COO there and the head of the, I think, downtown Des Moines. Uh, and she's been on those, those lists, but uh, in her new role, I think we're going to see a lot of Tiffany and uh, she's just a, a brilliant leader who's really thinking a lot about Des Moines. Let's talk about let's talk about the challenges that Des Moines faces. Now, having moved back, I've been pleasantly surprised by so many of the you know the sculpture park, all of these wonderful amenities, the drive down Gray's Lake that. I remember it was just a, a vision in people's eyes some time ago, and now to see it come to fruition, it's 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 a much more livable, beautiful city than it was decades ago. But there are challenges now, and uh, it used to be that somebody who led a major business in Des Moines and was trying to recruit a young family to move to an executive position here could say, well, we don't have the ocean, but we do have really good public schools. They can't say that today. There are a lot of things about schools and about the quality of life in Iowa that, that just can't be said to lure executives to the city. Is that, is that an issue that you see coming up in the business community? Are people trying to tackle that? Or is it not, you know, I hear no evil, see no evil. Mm -hmm. Talent retention and recruitment are, um, I would say, among the top uh, concerns uh, that I hear among business leaders. With the pandemic, so much changed with the way we work um, that it's created both challenges and opportunities. But like any metro area, uh, business leaders who are trying to attract, well, either business itself or uh, workforce are very concerned about all sorts of things. So that can be everything from schools, but healthcare, uh, infrastructure, um, affordable housing, you name it. Des Moines and Iowa have many, many things to offer to bring people here, uh, but there's also challenges that, um, you know, that continue to, to be concerns for the business community in terms of recruiting. Are people actually trying to do something about it? Are they, 
Are they discussing public schools and how to boost them or fund them or anything to your knowledge or? Well, there are many organizations that are looking at Des Moines strategy as well as Iowa strategy. So if you think about what Debbie Durham uh, is doing, leading Iowa economic development and IFA, you know, she's looking at the state as a whole saying, what do we need to do to be attracting business? And, you know, there's programs beyond programs for things like placemaking, looking at housing access and affordability, um, addressing issues like infrastructure, broadband, construction, you name it. Um, the Greater Des Moines Partnership is an example of an organization that is involving business leaders in various programs, capital crossroads. I mean, I could name many of them. Uh, do I feel like, you know, everything is solved? No, uh, new problems continue to come our way, um, like any city, and and there's major work to be done these days if we really are going to attract and retain a workforce. Iowa has a shrinking population, and um, and so ultimately we're going to have to grow our workforce one way or the other. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to uh, open it up to folks who might have a question or a comment. Love to uh, have your participation in this call. Not that I don't have plenty of things to ask you, but please feel free to raise your hand. Alejandra, I'd love it if you would unmute yourself and uh, just pretend we're sitting around a dinner party table and you're getting to know Susanna, although I assume you already know Susanna. But what what would you say from your position as the dean of the Drake uh, Zimpleman College of Business, uh, if we were sitting around having a chat about the future of Des Moines and business? Well, I think my uh, biggest question would be around how welcoming is our state? I think when I arrived here two decades ago, um, it felt very welcoming, both um, politically, socially, economically. And, um, you know, it, it raised a lot of questions for us uh, around our values. and. Um, now we find her, find myself here two decades later, um, often getting questions, both from prospective businesses who want to locate here, as well as prospective students who'd like to come to Drake about how truly welcoming our state is and um, how do we how do we address those questions authentically? Uh, because especially younger people can see through uh, efforts to uh, whitewash some things, but um, also um, how do we how do we tell stories about things that are truly um, allowing us to embrace anyone who wants to come here and, and build a life, which I think is a fabulous place to do it. Mm -hmm. I think we've made significant strides, and I think we are facing uh, significant challenges. Uh, uh, when my father came to Iowa in the early '60s, uh, he was from New Mexico. He's Latino, and he came to Iowa State. There was almost no, there was no Latino population in this state. And his best and quickest um, strategy was to assimilate as much as possible. Uh, and would he have said it was a friendly state? It was a friendly state in many, many ways. He had good economic opportunity, but it, it wasn't a place where there was a huge uh, and welcoming Latino community. 
I think you can look at um, progress of women over the last, uh, you know, 50 years in my lifetime. Uh, Iowa's been a state where uh, women probably had more opportunities than in some other states career-wise. Um, and I think we've seen under it was the legacy of Robert Ray uh, was to be very welcoming to immigrant populations. Um, so there, I think there that when I was growing up, I wouldn't have called Iowa a super friendly, inclusive state. It was inclusive as long as you pretty much looked like everyone else. Um, but then significant change in in terms of of progress for women, minorities, immigrants. I think in the last uh, 10 years or so, uh, we've seen some shifts uh, that are that are problematic right now in terms of the the certainly uh, younger generations feeling like they are welcome here. Uh, and I think policy wise in the last couple of years, where I'm I'm seeing young people of color, LGBTQ individuals, and even women saying there's other states where I feel like I I am um, where I belong more, and that is that is a scary prospect for business uh, where we need people. So you know I think there's a there's been a trajectory, Alejandro, but I think uh, we're at a we're at a moment now where. Um, we really need to be working hard as a community to ask what does belonging really mean? And full yeah. disclosure, he and I are working on a Latinx project together that hopefully will address and provide opportunities for some of those leaders. Oh, great, great. Mm -hmm. Well, I, we were, I, I, I just want to say, we were talking about this word belonging and I, to me, it's it's really for many people, it's, the, it's code for safety. It's code for feeling feeling that you can be there without fear. And, um, and I like the word belonging, and I think we're starting to incorporate it in the way we talk about DEIB, but um, you're right, um, Susanna, it's really about feeling feeling embraced and feeling safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like, I like the use of the word safe because that is actually real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is real. And there are a lot of people who aren't safe these days. I, uh, I was talking to somebody who uh, works in the storage industry, the, the self-storage industry, and how many people are today are being evicted because they can't afford rent or, or for one reason or the, another, and that it's a, it's a crisis, but it's right under the radar. And, and of course, it's a problem. It's a community problem. And I, I wonder if the business community is, well, let's see, how do I put this? It, it feels like Iowa is on a precipice that we could, with, a, with a, you know, a perfect storm of things happening in a bad way, we could lose more private colleges. Tuition is going up at public universities, which is going to make higher education more out of reach for more students. All of these things are happening in tandem that that really make me fearful for Iowa's future. So I don't know if you have an I'm just ranting here, but I would love to hear from from you all about I would like to hear some hope. Is there hope? What is it specifically? Well, you know, one of the questions Alejandro asked was, you know, how do we tell the stories of what is working? 
And I certainly don't want to pretend that everything is perfect here. But one of the things that we try to do at business publications is find success stories um, within the business community, but also in the cultural community. And it is astounding the amazing things that are happening in this state. That, again, underscores the power of journalism to say, what is actually happening here, right? You ask, are, is anyone working on these things? Yes, there are companies here that are doing interesting and innovative things to build pipelines, to support diverse groups of individuals, to actually be champions, organizations that are changing their policies, addressing their cultures, and that is urban and rural, we're seeing innovative practices happening around childcare, around development of young leaders. And then when you look at some of the entrepreneurial activity that's happening in, in immigrant groups, I mean, it's super exciting to see restaurants opening, to see retail stores opening. Um, so I feel, Julie, that, that there's so many amazing things that are happening. We do need to be sharing because those are the stories of, of hope, mm -hmm. right? Where there's individual, um, there's individual stories as well as uh, groups that are, are thriving or pushing or creating or innovating and uh, mm -hmm. with support, those are the future. Those will be the future of Iowa. Laura Bellin, uh, if you have a question or a comment, love to hear from you. You're on mute. Uh, chime on in. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I have. I guess I have so many. Um, I don't know. I wanted. I want to. I want to defer for a minute because I have like a lot of things, and I wanted. I want to decide what I want to use my limited speaking time for. So. Okay. All right, we'll get back to you, Robert Leonard, Bob Leonard, Artist Rice. I'm going to call, start calling on people if you're not raising your hands. Okay, Bob. You're on mute. Oh, yeah, there's so much to talk about. Um, I just wonder sometimes if we're reinforcing the, the narrative, if we keep saying that that Iowa is scary, Iowa is bad for young people, Iowa is a place where fe people feel threatened. I mean, it's true, but are we are we making that? the situation are we giving up by reinforcing that negative stereotype? And I liked it when you said you were working on things that are positive and all of your work is positive, but I uh, I just wonder sometimes, especially when the media is picking up on it, is there a downside side to keep repeating that narrative? Well, I think if you have a child who is transgender or LGBTQ, and following the news, I think you're looking at moving out of the state. I mean, I, if, my, if I had a child who was facing some of those issues and the bullying that's sanctioned by the state, I'd probably move out of Iowa. I mean, I think, I think yes, there are lots of positive things, but I, I think we've got to tackle head on what could be, uh, I don't know, what, what do you think, Susanna? You're the guest. Well, I think, you know, as a, as, as a person involved in journalism, and Bob has been in this world forever, is you always need a balanced story in order to, to I think, show what's really happening. Somebody told me one time, you know, everything is a bell curve, right? We, we hear things, 
The sensational stories are on both sides of the bell curve, no matter what the issue is. But most of the people tend to be somewhere here in this, this middle range. And, and if we are telling only extreme stories, we are missing the majority of the stories. So I think you have to report on things that are happening in terms of extreme news. That's always going to, you know, many news outlets focus on those because that's where that where you get the headlines. But I think that part of the onus on um, journalistic organizations is just keep digging to tell a wide variety of stories so people can uh, look and make decisions for themselves, right? So yes, Bob, if all we write is a narrative that business is in jeopardy because of um, problems with uh, inclusiveness, we are we are that may be true. It may be true in some companies. It may be true in some communities, but it also it isn't telling where positive things are happening or or where there is advancement. So I think you have to tell the whole diverse and balanced story. And with Alejandro on the call, of course, uh, the 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 uh, business college has been in the news because of a significant gift by the Zimplemans. And the thrust of it is, I, as I understand it, to design curriculum and help students see a more holistic view of business in the community. Is that is that a kind of oversimplification, Alejandro? And if well, it, it it really is um, a focus on ensuring that you're looking at financial performance, certainly, but also non-financial performance and meeting the expectations that communities and other stakeholders have for the private sector. And I think um, there's opportunities in, in many dimensions and there's many stakeholders are gonna have demands that are gonna be sometimes conflicting, but it's this idea that if you're gonna be a successful business leader, you're gonna have to be ready to um, both perceive, but more importantly, interpret what those expectations are and whether it's um, around the externalities of your own business, whether it's around the contributions that, um, your company or you yourself as a leader can make. Um, I think that's really where the where the opportunity is. And certainly I've I've seen that um not only in um the work here at Drake, but also in the business community in, in central Iowa, where um the companies that have been here for centuries have been the ones that have been part of our communities. And um, clearly we've got a model here that that could be very constructive for us moving forward, even in some industries that are not necessarily in and of themselves, um, not without risk that they present to society and to the environment. Hey, we have a couple of comments in the chat worth exploring. If uh, those of you who are uh, posting something would care to speak to that, Tim Wagner, you'll need to unmute, and then Mary talking about Cedar Rapids. Uh, Tim, go right ahead. Can we see you? Is that possible? Can you turn your video on? There we go. Oh, but I can't hear you. Still can't hear you. Let me try this. There we go. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think as the point I tried to make in my brief chat remark, I think the rural smaller communities are going to start to suffer greatly as we see our public school systems 
the, especially the smaller ones and the more rural ones, struggle to find teachers. Just, uh, I've talked to many teachers, I have them in my family, and they're either going to leave the profession or they're going to leave Iowa. And, and for good reason, you can't blame them. And, and I think when the smaller schools start to struggle to find teachers, that's going to have a profound impact on the school system. And when the local school system starts to suffer, uh, you're going to start to see people leaving the community. That, that means future employees for businesses who want to locate there. So it's just really a compound effect that I think we're going to see from what's going on in Iowa right now. That's really going to have a dramatic impact on the larger you know, business sector. You know, I think the business communities in the bigger communities, you know, bigger metropolitan areas like Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Waterloo, et cetera. I mean, I think they're probably going to weather, weather through this pretty well. But the rural parts of the state are really going to start seeing some fading, I believe, because of what's going on. Thanks, Tim. Oh. Yeah. And Susanna, I don't expect you to have solutions to this, but I think it's an interesting conversation when we talk about business and the connection between all of these things. There, there is a connection. and uh, Everything is interrelated. When you look at economic development and you look at the economic prosperity of a state or a community, that you have to have the business infrastructure uh, in order for there to be economic vitality, but that's fueled by people and people have to live and work in communities that support them in a variety of different ways. So I think that Tim's comments about education are, are spot on. I think rural Iowa, um, and I, I grew up in a small town, I've lived in, lived in rural Iowa. Um, there have been challenges, urban-rural divide for a long time in, in terms of, of where, where is the real economic fuel and how do you keep people in small towns? What are they going to do? Uh, but then what is what are the people in the big cities doing as well? And how does that urban-rural uh, relationship work? I was in Western Iowa at White Rock Conservancy over the weekend. And oh. I can tell you if I, you know, I have friends coming in from New York. That's one of the first places I would send them to say what is right about Iowa. Right? right, we have this unbelievably beautiful environment in a vibrant small town, um, but that's a, a town, Coon Rapids. It's also, I think, questioning how to, how are they going to uh, continue economic prosperity? White Rock is placemaking, recreation, all of these things rolled into one. You look at a place like Jefferson; they are doing absolutely innovative things. Um, to try to support diverse communities, to try to jumpstart economic development, to have restaurants and shops and places. So it it all has to work together. And eventually, you know, it has to really be about people and culture. It has to be about supporting uh, business, uh, the business ecosystem, including public and private partnerships. And we have to have the infrastructure uh, to make sure that Iowa or Des Moines or wherever is is livable for right. every for everyone. I'm so glad you went to White Rock. We're 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 going to have them on uh, as our um, a Monday Zoom lunch guest mm -hmm. next Monday to hear all about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And you had a you had an award winning series on innovation in mm -hmm. in business publications. What were some of the top ideas from that series that 
that things are doing that's innovative, that I'm a firm believer that one person can make a huge difference, you know, mm-hmm. no, no matter what storm is going around them. So you're uncovering some of those stories. Tell us about them. Well, I would encourage anybody um, to who's interested in this sort of business culture ecosystem to tune into a couple of things that we we do because we're just exploring these topics all the time. And you're right, I don't have an answer, but you know, I know how to ask the questions. We know how to ask the questions. Um, Envision Iowa is a series that we are doing that has three think tanks and then an in-person event. And and exactly what I was just talking about is what we look at. We have economic development, um, city, like municipality leaders um, and business leaders that get together and debate what needs to, where are the gaps, what needs to be done. And we have a very um, comprehensive leadership survey that is just, um, we've just finished having be in the field that sort of talks about a leadership outlook survey. So people are thinking about and talking about these these Good. things. We also publish Innovation Iowa, which is a newsletter. We have an event actually coming up um, where we're looking at startups. We're looking at um, um, uh, entrepreneurship. Right. We're looking at public-private partnerships to say, you know, how do we take small ideas? How do we use university technology? You know, how do we develop those things to help our state prosper? And there's some really cool incubators all across the state um, that are not just, I mean, there's insure tech, there's ag tech, there's fintech, but there's also incubators that are that are looking at other industries. So, I mean, those are um, those are things that need support. Um, but that create new and interesting businesses and hopefully attract both capital and people to our state. That's exciting. That's exciting. Okay, Laura, you have a question. Yay. I I mean, I have so many questions, but I'm just going to try to stick to one. So it's very likely that tomorrow the Iowa legislature is going to pass a near total abortion ban that the governor is going to sign like any day after that. And it might take a year or two, but I mean, it's very possible that the courts here could uphold that law. And I mean, why, if, if I'm a young woman or if I have a young woman, or if I'm thinking about attending college or taking a job, like why should anybody, why should any woman work in Iowa where their health care or their reproductive freedom is about to be sharply curtailed? Mm-hmm. Well, and again, Suzanne, I don't expect you to really have have the answer to that either, but oh, and I know this is an issue that Susanna's passionately worked on during her career. So I mean, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, why? I know your the business publications. Obviously, they have separate newsletters and things that are geared toward professional women. And I'm just wondering, like, what's why not? Why shouldn't everybody just start looking for work outside Iowa right now? Mm-hmm. Well, not speaking on behalf of Business Publications Corporation, um, obviously on a personal level, this is something that I've spent a lot of my time uh, working on because I think that reproductive uh, health care and choice are a very important, uh, critical part of uh, women being able to succeed. Uh, and so it's disappointing uh, that that these rights are being eroded in Iowa, I think they are symbolic of greater rights um, being eroded in Iowa. And yes, I think that that is a huge concern uh, for individuals as well as employers. Um, but again, 
it's one reason that it is, it's one slice of life. If I live here and I can get care that I need or opportunities that I need somewhere else, there may be other compelling reasons for me to be here. Maybe my family is here. Uh, maybe a young woman chooses to stay because this is where her business is. Um, but these are all things that our state uh, business leaders and our legislative leaders need to be thinking about very, very carefully in order to think about our, our future. So Artis Rice is on the call, and she would not allow me to say this in her courtroom because it's hearsay. But I do hear a lot of business leaders say that back in the day, they would see issues like this, knowing what impact they are going to have on recruitment of top talent into their executive positions here. And they would have private backdoor meetings with the governor, both parties, to say and let them know what kind of impact these things are going to have on their businesses. But it seems like, again, hearsay, sorry, judge, but it seems like there's almost a fear that there will be a reprisal or recriminations if those conversations are held. And I don't know who's having those chats. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if our government leaders understand what's at stake. And I know there's, there's a lot of positive going on, but I don't think we can ignore the, the impending exodus that could be happening if, if people who are in leadership positions don't do something. I agree. Um, most of my friends, people my age, have considered moving from Iowa, but nobody really has decided where to go. And then, <laughs> but then also we have family ties and business ties and so forth. But the thought has to cross your mind when these things keep happening and happening that appear to me to be so negative, but seem to be acceptable or promoted in our government. Um, several years ago, you know, everybody knew who the governor listened to. Um, and you could reach these people and talk to them. And I think they often provided um, a good influence. Right now, we don't, well, we maybe we know who our leadership listens to, but I don't think it's always people that that I could talk to and say, listen, you need to tell so-and-so that this isn't working. Um, I have appreciated the comments here today. I certainly agree about with Tim about our schools. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Iowa, and the importance of having a vibrant school district, I... I I just can't imagine what's going to happen if our rural communities lose more and more funding for their schools um, and healthcare. I'm very adamant about what's going on with healthcare. Um, so I'm appreciating listening to these things. Um, I don't have any solutions, but I'm really glad to hear what you're talking about and Susanna about talking about the positive things, because I think maybe sometimes I hear so much about all the negative things that I get wrapped up in that. Um, so keep talking, everybody. 
Well, and I have the same feeling, Ernest, when I when I put together the roundup on Sunday mornings of the Iowa members of the Iowa Writers Collaborative and the wonderful stories that they're telling about what's going on all around the state from Waterloo to Davenport to Bussey to whatever. I feel hope. I feel, oh my God, you know, this is still, this is still the Iowa that I know and love. And I think Bob, you make your point's well taken that we need we we do need to focus on what's working as well as what what's not working. And I'm just so glad we're having conversations like this. It I think it's helpful. And um, I don't know if anybody listens, but you can't everything begins in a conversation. I heard that once. And I think having these conversations is so important because maybe it'll initiate some ideas. We had a futurist on a few weeks ago who talked about what what's going on in some cities around the country with abandoned retail places. They're turning into grow houses for, for, for food and that sort of thing. I meant to ask you if you've heard about any of that kind of innovation being talked about here for Valley West Mall becomes Valley West something. <laughs> grow your own uh, whatever. But our, our, when you talk about innovation and innovative stories, do you hear things like that that are, that are in the works? Yeah, I think kind of what we, to the point is there's a, there's a million stories out there. People are going on, living their lives, doing really pretty amazing things every single day, mm-hmm. even if we're in an environment where, you know, there's, there's always going to be a lot of political activity going on. Um, And I'm not discounting any of that, but I'm saying people are continuing to innovate, start businesses, um, work on new technologies. I mean, be creative. Those are the things that I I think are are very hopeful to me uh, and that I wanna keep writing about and lifting up so that there is balanced information about what's actually uh, actually happening. So I see a, a note from, uh, I think it's Ann Seltzer, who's saying, I'm curious to know parts <laughs> of the job that I love. Um, okay. uh, there's so many parts of my job that I love. It's hard to narrow it down. Um, I really, really enjoy um, following, I mean, following the stories and understanding, um, you know, what is happening in our community. We have an interesting vantage point, putting products together, thinking about design is really, really fascinating. It sort of brings these different areas of, of my life uh, together. I love writing the columns that I do. In addition to poetry, I write some leadership columns and I find um, that very rewarding in part because I'm talking to young uh, leaders or business leaders and getting their thoughts. And, and that I, I tend to always feel hopeful when I'm getting information from them. Uh, but another area of our work that I love that we haven't talked about at all, Julie, is our events. We do yes. over 40 events and some of them are to um, lift people up uh, who are doing amazing things. Some of them are to create forums for dialogue and I think that those bringing people together for conversation around a variety of topics, this is what you're doing here today, is so needed and so rewarding. Amazing things happen. Sometimes people go off and do interesting things together after our 
events, they meet, they do business together. Someone finds a client at our events, uh, but people often write and tell us how inspired they are uh, by people who have devoted their lives to the community or who are like our 40 under 40 event. I mean, I think Connie jokes that when she first started 40 under 40, she thought, are there really enough people? Or someone asked her, are there really 40 young people doing amazing things? Well, we get hundreds of nominations from people who are under 40 who will blow your mind with the stuff that they are doing professionally and civically. And I always leave that event feeling like it's all it's all going to be fine. The world will continue turning. People will stand up for what is right and they will continue to be creative and do innovative things. So, and there's a million things that I like, um, <laughs> but, but connecting, being creative and trying to see how people can come together to advance our state and to advance our community is very, very rewarding. Yeah, I want to I want to just follow that up um, with a question about what might be next in the pipeline because it, you can hardly turn around before there's something new coming out of your shop. And I'll confess that when I was first in Des Moines at the Des Moines Register, half of my job, more of that, was supporting the advertising department. And the great wish was to kill the business record. <laughs> and, and I remember having to stand up to the advertising director and what he wanted to do with our data to sort of create you know, a problem that that you if you're not in the business pages of the Moines Register, you don't really, if you're there, you don't really need to be in the business record. And I said, you know, you can mess these numbers any way you want. You can say 100% of the people who read the register, read the register, you know, it, but it's not fair to do it. Anyway, you, you survived, Connie, survived that and has really flourished. Yes. Just, you know, it sort of is like those trees that have, you know, deep, deep roots and uh, a lot of exposure to the sunlight. I just wonder if there's anything coming up. Well, we have so many events coming up that um, that I hope everybody will attend. Uh, we have our innovation event coming up. We have an Envision Iowa think tank coming up. Uh, Women of Influence is in August. We have 90 ideas in 90 minutes in the fall. We have have our LGBTQ Legacy Leader Awards in the fall, which is sort of a hall of fame. Um, I mean, and just on and on. And then soon you will know that we are having an anniversary party. <laughs> I'll be breaking that news at some point. Um, but we have legacy events or signature events, and then we try to add things uh, to address a need in the community. And, and it's, it's really a joy. But I think to your point about... Uh, the register, looking at the business record, um, we have survived. Uh, we have a strong audience, but again, we we know who we are, we know who we're talking to, and we are trying to deliver valuable information that they cannot and connections that they can't get anywhere else. Yeah. So, so thank you. You are a bright spot. Your leadership is a bright spot. The the company you work for is a bright spot for many. And I'm so glad you have taken the time to be with us today. Thank you for your leadership and all you're doing and let the conversations continue. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate it. And thank you, everyone. It's nice to see you.
All right. Take care. We're going to uh, sign off for now. And again, appreciate all the participation and good questions and commentary. And we'll see you next week.